Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised this podcast contains the names of people who have died. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams and today we're going back to the 28th of July 1950. That was the day that a brave young man named Kevin Budden died after catching a deadly taipan snake so its venom could be milked and used in the creation of an anti-venine that would save lives. In this episode, I'll be telling Kevin's story and I'll be talking to Brendan James Murray, author of Venom, The Heroic Search for Australia's Deadliest Snake. Kevin Budden was born in 1929 and raised in Ranwick in eastern Sydney. He grew up during the Depression and World War II. While other boys his age might have been yearning for battlefield glory, Kevin was learning about snakes and dreaming of having his own backyard reptile pit. By New Year's Day 1948, he was on his way. That was when he caught his first snake. And after that, Kevin went out on the hunt every single weekend. His best spot was the rough at East Lakes Golf Course. Over the next 12 months, he caught 22 snakes there, including black and tiger snakes, which he kept behind wire in his backyard. Kevin caught another 27 snakes at various spots around Sydney during 1948, and newspapers got wind of this young man's unusual hobby. In January 1949, representatives from Sydney's The Sun newspaper called on Kevin, taking a picture of the slight narrow-faced lad holding up one of his prized specimens. The Sun's article described the dangerous snakes he kept as pets and how he'd sold others to collectors, museums and zoos for around five shillings per foot. The story, variations on which were published all over Australia, also described Kevin's technique. It was pretty simple. He'd grab the snakes by their tails and whip them into sugar bags. The headline of the Sun's piece was, Hisses Don't Trouble Him. That might have seemed at odds with the fact that Kevin, in just a year of snake catching, had been bitten five times already. Kevin would argue it wasn't because he'd suffered no serious consequences thanks to getting prompt treatment. Anyway, he believed that most people who died of snakebite succumbed not to venom, but to their own fright and shock. While Kevin Budden worked a day job as a clerk, he pursued his passion on weekends with two like-minded mates. Roy McKay, a 21-year-old cadet taxidermist at the Australian Museum, and 20-year-old carpenter Neville Goddard. At the end of March 1949, this trio told the newspapers they were going to Cape York in far north Queensland to hunt the Taipan. In more than 150 years of European settlement, Taipans had rarely been captured alive. And there was no anti-venine because viable venom hadn't been secured. Only one person was on record as having survived a Taipan bite. While Kevin and his friends were off on a boy's own adventure, if they succeeded in bringing a taipan back alive, they'd be making a hugely valuable, life-saving contribution to science and medicine. 
Talking to Sydney's Daily Telegraph, they said they were taking enough dehydrated food to last more than a month and that they expected to supplement this by killing wild pigs and crocodiles for meat. They'd be living in tents and hiking about 200 miles a week. They expected to be back in Sydney in six weeks' time with a collection of taipans, pythons, other snakes and a number of baby crocodiles. These they'd sell to the highest bidder. Roy McKay said, quote, We have been catching and selling poisonous snakes for years. We have already arranged to export some of the reptiles we've caught and if we make a good catch at Cape York, we should be able to start a good steady business with the world zoos. It wasn't just the money. He continued, quote, The taipan is the second largest venomous snake in the world. It grows up to 12 feet. So far, no taipan has lived in captivity. One of our objects in trying to catch it is to get an anti-venom from its poison. So far as I know, there's no antidote for its bite, so we may be able to save quite a few lives, particularly of Aborigines. Roy admitted that he, Neville and Kevin had all been bitten numerous times, but said... You get used to it after a while, although good snake catchers don't get bitten too often if they want to stay in the business. The expedition was going to cost each of them £35, which was the equivalent of about six weeks' average wages. This was a fair gamble, and I'm guessing that media-savvy Kevin and his mates pocketed a few quid towards their expedition when they put on a photo opportunity for Pix magazine at Eastlake Golf Course. In a sand trap, one of their snakes... An eight-foot diamond python slithered up to a rat, coiled around the rodent, squeezed the life out of it, and then swallowed it whole. Pix Magazine's snapper captured the whole thing in a series of close-ups that ran over three pages, accompanied by scientific captions such as Snake hugs himself in delight over rat tail savoury and Satisfied smile as rat bulges towards the stomach. In early April 1950, Kevin and his friends took the train north from Sydney. Making a stop in Brisbane, they were photographed by that city's Telegraph newspaper, headlining them as Snake Chasers. If they were lucky enough to find a taipan, the boys would be taking extra precautions. Roy McKay told reporters, quote, With the taipans, we probably will use a forked stick to hold them down by their head. One about four foot long will do me. The trio went to Cairns and then flew northwest to Cohen, where they made their headquarters. Their efforts, though, were thwarted by extra long grass after a particularly wet, rainy season. The trip wasn't a total bust. They were surprised by how many rare lizards and strikingly coloured geckos they encountered, but they didn't get a taipan. They did get 26 other snakes, including a record-sized Carpenteria whip, five varieties of water snakes, and an unusual honey-coloured version of the common green tree snake. The trio vowed to return and get themselves that taipan. In March 1950, an article in Mackay's Daily Mercury newspaper recounted a reporter accompanying Kevin and another man on a snake-hunting trip in marshland near Sydney's Long Bay Jail. The headline, Chases Snakes Bare-Legged, summed up the journalist's surprise and concern that these two chaps went about their business in shorts and wearing sandals. The article made Kevin Budden seem eerily like the Steve Irwin of his day. Quote, Intent on the chase, they waded through water, climbed sandhills and pushed through stinging nettles. 
When Kevin saw a large red-bellied black snake, he said, Oh, you beauty, and dived towards it with right hand outstretched. The snake slithered away and Kevin jumped into the marsh, groping vainly in the long grass and bushes. Three months later, his mates unable to accompany him, Kevin returned to northern Queensland alone and intent on bagging a taipan. He spent four weeks hunting in the tablelands southwest of Cairns. Kevin caught a lot of snakes there, as he'd reveal on the 21st of July when he was interviewed by a reporter for the Cairns Post at the Cairns Museum where he'd be sleeping the night surrounded by his new scaly mates. The article set the scene, quote, Standing in the middle of a heap of writhing reptiles that he had tipped out of bags onto the museum floor, Kevin said that some of the snakes were quiet, but others would strike at the slightest provocation. Needless to say, there wasn't a taipan among this clutch of reptiles. Kevin was quoted, Pythons are not venomous, but they can inflict a very nasty wound with their 200 teeth, which are arranged in rows along the jaw and in a row in the palate. Each tooth is about three-eighths of an inch long and is as sharp as a razor. As much as Kevin loved pythons, he said he was done collecting them after a month of fighting through rough terrain. He said, They can be caught quite easily, but getting them to civilization is the job. Especially given the biggest python he caught was 14 feet long and weighed about two and a half stone. To get an idea of how powerful this snake was, Kevin had wrapped it around his waist. Big mistake. The python had started to constrict and he'd needed the help of another man to uncoil it before it made him like that rat in the pic's pictures. The Cairns Post article made it clear that Kevin loved snakes. Rubbing the scales of a small python, described as being a mere 10 feet long, across his cheek, he said, quote, The iridescent sheen of the sun on the scales of the python is a beautiful sight. He cared for his charges too, holding their bodies with his feet to wash out their mouths to reduce the chances of a disease that commonly took hold there. Kevin now told the Cairns Post he hoped to catch a taipan in the suburb of Freshwater. He explained the species' fierce beauty to the reporter, quote, Its fangs are about half an inch long, much longer than that of most other Australian snakes. Up to date, no taipans have been brought back to civilization alive. This snake can be easily identified by the shape of the scale in the centre of the forehead. In the taipan, this scale is shaped like a shield with a convex top, but in most species, the front of the scale is concave. The fangs, which insert the venom when the snake bites, are grooved and are not hollow as is often thought. That is why a bite through a shirt or trousers is often not as serious as if the victim has been bitten on the bare skin. A lot of the poison is absorbed by the material. Six days later, around 10 in the morning on the 27th of July, Kevin was on the hunt in scrub on the outskirts of Cairns Township. Hearing a squeal, he uncovered some rubble and found what he thought was a six-foot-long taipan that had just bitten a rat. The snake went for his boot, and Kevin went for the snake, grabbing it behind the head. But his sugar bag was out of reach, and by the time he got to it, the taipan had wrapped itself firmly around his arm. Now, he couldn't let go without help. Kevin walked to a nearby road and flagged down a truck. The driver, Jim Harris, later told the Cairns Post, quote, I pulled up the truck and asked him what he had. He told me that he thought it was a taipan and asked me to drive him to Mr. Stevens' home at Edge Hill as he was an authority on taipans and could identify it properly. 
Remarkably, given what would have almost surely happened if the Taipan had gotten loose inside the truck, Mr. Harris said, OK, get in. He drove Kevin the two miles to Mr. Stevens' home, where this local naturalist positively identified the snake as a Taipan and told his wife to go and get a bag. Kevin went to put the Taipan in the sack. His hand, strained from this life-or-death grip and covered in his sweat and the snake's saliva, slipped. The serpent struggled free and struck twice. Jim Harris recalled, quote, It bit deeply into his left hand and then got away. He caught it again and held it out at arm's length by the tail and told Mr. Stevens how to put a ligature on his arm. I wanted to kill the thing, but he would not let me. He kept saying that it was important for scientific research and he had come to the far north specially to capture one. The Stevens phoned the ambulance, but Jim Harris bundled Kevin into the truck so he could meet the emergency vehicle halfway, knowing that every second counted. Jim Harris told the Cairns Post, quote, Mr. Budden was given first aid. He remained calm all the time and insisted that someone look after the snake. Jim's most widely quoted comment went this way. He was a game little bloke and as cool as they come. At Cairns Hospital, the attending doctor would report Kevin didn't seem particularly concerned and he maintained that most people died not from poison, but of fright and shock. Yet knowing what he did about the Taipan, particularly about bites on bare skin, Kevin had to have known his chances weren't good, even if there hadn't been that much venom injected into him. Taipan venom has two types of poison, one of which responded to tiger snake antivenine that was pumped into Kevin. The other poison, though, had no antidote. Even so, the Cairns Post reported that doctors said he had a good chance at recovery. But in the same article, they reported that Kevin's breathing had faltered, he couldn't speak, and was partly blind. That night, as the poison gradually paralysed him, Kevin was placed in an iron lung when his respiration began to fail. This didn't make any difference, and neither did any of the other treatments that were given to Kevin Budden, and he died in the early afternoon on this day 70 years ago. Subsequent newspaper reports would say that Kevin had remained conscious and confident he'd live until about 30 minutes before the end came. This would seem to be fanciful though. Australian herpetologist David Williams in 2004 wrote an article entitled The Death of Kevin Budden, which included an excerpt from the doctor's report of the battle to save his life, and it was far more desperate and painful than newspapers would portray it. Kevin Budden would be buried in Cairns, not far from where he'd been bitten, in a funeral attended by his sister and her husband because his mum and dad couldn't afford the journey. Kevin's life ended on the 28th of July, 1950, but his story didn't and still hasn't. With fascinated newspapers reporting every development, the Taipan was flown, yes, it was a snake on a plane, by TAA to Brisbane and then to Melbourne's Commonwealth Serum Laboratories to be milked. This dangerous job would be done by David Flea, one of Australia's most experienced naturalists. This was a man whose adventures with animals included being bitten on the bum by a Tasmanian tiger, getting the back of his hand ripped off by a goanna, and nearly losing an eye to a kestrel. Yet the Taipan was a foe more deadly than any of them. David Flea lived to tell the United Press, quote, The air-freighted box sat alone on a table. 
ominously quiet. It was flywire covered and contained a tied up bag with another bag inside, of which we supposed the coiled taipan to be. David Flea and his helpers carefully removed the wire, lifted out the bag and gingerly cut the string. Quote, The second bag was there all right, but the taipan over six feet in length fell out first and gyrated savagely on the floor. It had already escaped from the second bag. The taipan struck at David Flea, but he hooked it with a snake stick and got what he said was a lucky grip. Quote, then working closely and intently, I managed to seize it tightly with thumb and forefinger, immediately at the base of the head. David Flea placed the snake's head over a small, rubber-covered beaker. The snake's fangs pierced the membrane and squirted venom into the glass receptacle. As a mark of thanks and respect, Dr. Flea raised 50 pounds for Kevin's parents, for which they were very grateful, saying it would allow them to visit their son's grave. Kevin Budden's death spurred renewed interest in taipans and to discuss this deadly reptile, Kevin's legacy and what happened after his death, I'm joined by Brendan James Murray, author of Venom, The Heroic Search for Australia's Deadliest Snake. Brendan, thanks for joining us. Just to start, how deadly is the taipan? So taipans are an extremely dangerous snake. There's no doubt about that at all. I suppose it comes down to what we actually mean by deadly. If you're talking about uh, venom toxicity, the coastal taipan, which is the, the type of snake that bit Kevin Budden, is probably about the third most toxic snake on earth. Um, but then, of course, dangerousness needs to consider things like how likely is the snake to bite, how defensive is the snake, if you like, when cornered. And taipans are known to be very defensive. They are very quick to bite and they do so at a really high speed. Um, so there's often uh, debate about well, what is the deadliest snake on earth. Sometimes people will suggest it's the black mamba in Africa. Um, it comes down to a question of degree, but certainly I would argue that it's either the, uh, the coastal taipan of Australia or the black mamba of Africa. They're both very similar snakes actually and, and very, very dangerous to humans. You wouldn't want to tangle with one? Definitely not. Definitely not. Best avoided. And they'll take great, uh, great, they'll go to great lengths to avoid humans as well. They're not looking for confrontation or conflict. But I often say that a cornered coastal taipan, without question, is one of the most dangerous animals on the planet. And I, I say that not just of snakes, but of across all types of animals that exist. Well, wow, it's given me chills. Have you ever encountered one yourself? I have. When I was researching the book, a young vet who keeps taipans as well as a range of other animals was kind enough to have me as a, a guest in his home. Um, I really wanted to see a taipan close up so I could better understand the animal and, and also, I suppose, as a writer, describe them accurately. And he showed me a probably about seven foot long coastal taipan. He removed it from its enclosure. In many ways, it was a, a very, very beautiful animal. Um, but at the same time, I had that awareness, I suppose, of, of its capabilities. And it, uh, it really made me stop and, and reflect on what it must have been like for Kevin Budden to be hitchhiking holding an animal of that kind because when you see one close up they, they certainly are very intimidating in, in their size and in their reputation as well. 
So we know a bit about white people's experiences with Taipans pre-1950. What about indigenous people's experiences of the snake and where did it fit into Aboriginal mythology? So the Taipan was very well understood by the Aboriginal people of Northern Australia and indeed uh, other parts of Australia where you'll find the Taipan. And they had a profound respect for the animal. So the Gugu Yimithia people of uh, Northern Cape York, uh, they knew the, the Taipan as the Newman snake. Um, and obviously it was an awareness that they had long, long before European scientists had made their identification of the Taipan, scientific name being Oxuranus scutellatus. So George Rosendale, I think, is a really telling example of the way that Taipans were perceived by Indigenous Australians at that time. George was a Gugu Yimithia man uh, living in uh, northern Queensland, a place that is now called Hopevale, and he was bitten by a Taipan in 1949. He, in fact, is the only person at that time who survived a bite from a coastal Taipan without anti-venom. He was, in fact, a profoundly spiritual man. He'd been raised on a Lutheran mission, and he believed right up until his death, he only passed away actually a year ago, he believed that God had saved him. But he explained to me that uh, Taipans were very much feared, but also very much respected by the people, the indigenous people of Northern Australia. And they were also appreciated as a part of the landscape. And I think that was a key difference at that time between indigenous perspectives and white perspectives of the Taipan, where from the European colonial perspective, Taipans were almost seen as this scourge that needed to be dealt with whereas to the Indigenous people, they were more appreciated. And in fact, Rosendale told me about a group of Indigenous people in the North who uh, perceived the Taipan as like their, their totem, as he put it. And if, uh, if anybody were to kill a Taipan, they would become quite upset about that. So it was fear, it was respect, but it was also appreciation and a recognition that the, ta- the Taipan was a part of, uh, of the Australian landscape. I'm assuming, given that George believed that God had saved him, that the Aboriginal people realised, understood that a bite from a coastal Taipan was death. Without question. They understood that that was a snake to be avoided. And George himself had actually had a family member whose dog had been bitten by a Taipan. And I suppose going back to that question of how dangerous is the Taipan, that dog had died almost instantly. So very well understood down through the uh, the centuries and to the modern day that, that this was a snake that could cause rapid death. Now, Kevin Budden knew Taipans pretty well. He also went out hunting for snakes in sandals and shorts, although I believe on the day he encountered the Taipan, he was wearing boots at least. Do you think he was reckless? I think some people having heard his story would think he was quite reckless. What would you say to that? I think naive is probably a more fair word to describe him. I'd also say that Kevin was a big believer, as many people were then, in what was called snake fright, which was this idea that when a snake bit you, you didn't necessarily die from the venom so much as you did die from the the actual shock and, and 
fear and trauma of that experience. Um, I would also say that he was, we need to remember, very, very young, and I suppose uh, we all, to a greater or lesser extent, have a tendency to take risks when we're younger and we think perhaps that we're invincible and that we're going to live forever. Um, of course, there was a degree of recklessness in his conduct, but I think um, it would be probably unfair to, to focus on that aspect of his character. I think he was very professional in, in many ways in the way he interacted with reptiles, and it's impossible to capture a snake like a Taipan without some degree of risk, and ultimately he was taking that risk so that the anti-venom program could begin. Uh, and for that reason, I think um, we should look back perhaps with a, a slightly kinder interpretation than to dismiss him as just a reckless, um, a reckless thrill seeker. I agree. I also noted that in the 1949 expedition, it was noted that all of them were wearing sandals at that point. So clearly it was not something that was that shocking. I mean, we wouldn't do it today, but back then it was, uh, it was more acceptable, it seems. I think so. And... It was also, I mean, in terms of the, the type of clothing worn, it was also extremely hot. And we have to consider, too, the fact that Budden came from a, a relatively poor family. He wouldn't have been able to go out and buy all the best gear that a, a modern herpetologist might have access to. So he was, he was I think, working with what he had uh, in the context of his, his environment. Um, and ultimately, what happened to Kevin, the way he was bitten... Um, is something that could happen to any herpetologist and, and you still hear stories today of herpetologists getting bitten as they're putting snakes into bags, sometimes even getting bitten through bags. So I think his, his death ultimately wasn't the result of his recklessness. It was just um, a, a, a case of misfortune, I suppose, that can, can befall even very experienced reptile people. How important was Kevin to the development of Taipan antivenine? He was very important because prior, of course, to that type of which he caught, there was no venom available to begin the program. And although it may have been ultimately that only a small amount of venom was extracted from Kevin's Taipan, it meant that before he caught that snake, there was no anti-venom program whatsoever. He started the program by providing that animal to the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories. So on the one hand, there's that consideration, and then there's the symbolic impact of what Kevin did, because it was such a huge story in the media at the time that it inspired other people to go out there and attempt to catch Taipan so they could be provided to the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories to continue the program. Uh, and in that sense, I think that perhaps is his most significant contribution. And I'm convinced, and indeed there's evidence to suggest, that had he not captured and provided that Taipan when he did, it may have been a year or, or even longer beyond uh, 1955 until the, the antivenom was actually finalised. So I think he probably expedited the production of the antivenom by maybe as many as one or two years. And in those one or two years, a number of people received it and had their lives saved. So when was the first person saved by it? The first person was saved in 1955, the end of 1955, and that was a 10-year-old boy uh, living in a freshwater uh, near Cairns named Bruce Stringer.
Is Bruce still alive? Bruce is still alive. He lives out in uh, in Geelong, in Victoria, and he's actually a retired anaesthetist. So he went on to become a doctor himself. Uh, he says that the experience he had being bitten by the Taipan as a boy didn't particularly influence him to become a doctor, but what he does say is that having that experience as a very young man made him a much, much better doctor. The way he puts it is that you are a better, more caring doctor when you have been very ill yourself. And he said, unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, depending on how you look at it, most doctors haven't had that experience and they only have it much later in life when they start to become older and and unwell. But uh, in that sense, it, it helped him to become a more caring physician. So we could say that that's probably saved countless lives in itself and that wouldn't have happened without uh, Kevin's contribution. 100% true. Uh, There's a story that Bruce relates of fairly early in his medical career when he diagnosed and likely saved the life of a, uh, a woman who was suffering an ectopic pregnancy out in the bush, far, far from help. And as you quite rightly put it, if Bruce Stringer had had died of that taipan bite, that woman wouldn't have had him there to to care for her and to save her life. So that's the run-on effect of the sacrifice that Kevin Budden made. Amazing. Do we know how many lives have been saved in the time since the antivenine was developed? Uh, I can't give you an exact figure, but it's been many, many lives and they continue uh, continue to be saved. It was only, I think, a year or two ago that um, a young, very young boy, I think he may only have been a toddler, was, was bitten, I think, in a, in a chicken coop in, uh, in northern Queensland. Very ill, came very, very close to dying and had his life saved by Taipan antivenin. Again, that is the legacy of Kevin Budden continuing even to this day. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brendan. That was really great. Appreciate no you being on, appreciate you being on the show. No, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate your interest. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. 